Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. The announcer just mentioned about abiding in the doctrine or the teaching of Christ, 2 John verse 9. If we don't abide in the teaching of Christ, we don't have God is what the verse says. And you can't be saved without God. The only way we can be saved is through the grace and mercy of God. And that verse says you have to abide in the teaching of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, to have God, to be saved. Yet we have all these different churches and preachers and different religions out there teaching all kinds of different things. If they're teaching different things, they can't all be abiding in the teaching of Christ. As I want to say, two plus two can't equal four and five at the same time. So if one church insists that baptism has to be immersion and another church says no sprinkling for baptism is okay, They both can't be okay, but almost everybody thinks both churches are okay, even though they're teaching contradictory doctrines. It's like two plus two can equal four and five at the same time. Anyway, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755. Tonight, I would like to talk about the sin of prejudice. I mean, while we're waiting on our first call, calls have the priority on this program. James 2 verse 9 in the English Standard Version says, But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted as transgressors. The NIV says favoritism. It's talking about being prejudiced. The King James says being a respecter of persons. The context in James 2, the first part of this chapter, is talking about being prejudiced against poor people. So that's wrong. I think we all know that occurs. Rich people, maybe they get a little uppity. They think they're better than poor people sometimes. That's showing prejudice against poor people. That's what was going on in James 2, verses 1 through 9. They're condemned for that. They're rebuked for that. You know, it's also wrong the other way around. And that happens sometimes too. It's prejudice for poor people. It's wrong for for poor people to be prejudiced against rich people. You know, it's not necessarily wrong to be rich. Abraham and Job were super rich and still considered faithful to God. The problem is a rich man usually has a stronger temptation to trust in his riches. I mean, if you don't have a dollar, how can you trust in a dollar? So the the rich man has a stronger temptation to trust in his riches, to put his riches before God. I like what 1 Timothy 6 says. 9 and 10 and 17 and 18 say about this. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Notice it didn't say money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. We would say willing to share with those less fortunate than they are. So if you're rich, if you do have a lot of money, that's not necessarily a sin. But you should be willing to share those riches, your good fortune with others who haven't been so fortunate. If not, then you're not doing what God expects you to do with the blessings he's given you. You're not being responsible. You're not being a good steward of what he's given you. So it's it's wrong to be prejudiced against a person based on how much money they have. Prejudice against a poor person. Or even a prejudice against a rich person. 
And that happens too. It's also sinful to show favoritism based upon race or gender. Race or gender. Galatians 3, 28 and 29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. That was the race distinction they had back then. There is neither bond nor free. That could reflect upon the race distinction we had in America here two or three hundred years ago and reflects upon people's work status. There is neither male nor female, gender, for you are all one in Christ. What God is saying is it doesn't matter about your race, your work status. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're the president of a company or just one of the lowly peons. God doesn't care about that. All he cares about is whether or not you're a faithful Christian. Work status doesn't matter. Race doesn't matter. There is neither male nor female. Gender doesn't matter as far as whether or not a person is going to become a Christian. Now, it does have something to do with our roles. God does expect us to fulfill our roles. But as far as whether or not you can be a faithful Christian, doesn't matter if you're male or female. You're all one in Christ. You're all equal. We're all peers in Christ. Now, on the race problem we have in America, I think we all understand it goes back to the fact that two or three or four hundred years ago, for the most part, you had the Caucasians, the whites, enslaving the blacks. But I want you to notice this verse, First Timothy 1 verse 10. This is uh, it's from the King James Version. It says, and I'm just reading part of this verse so you can get the idea. It says, for men stealers, for liars, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, actually, there's a longer list than that. But but the, but what we have is men stealers, liars. It's a list of sins. It's contrary to sound doctrine. If you have a Bible question or comment, please give us a call at 877-655-6755. Let's think about what we had three or four hundred years ago in this country, 200 years ago. You had people, not necessarily whites or Caucasians that lived here, but you had what we call slave traders. May not even have lived in the United States. But they would take ships over to Africa and they would steal young black men from their parents, 18, 20 years old, 22 years old, and some young black ladies too. They would steal them, bring them to America, sell them as slaves. And then the whites who had the large farms would then become a partaker in that sin because they would buy the blacks and continue their enslavement. That's really what happened. And back during the Civil War days, we actually had preachers trying to justify that as being scriptural, a scriptural practice, because the New Testament does talk about slaves, treat your, I mean, uh, obey your masters, and masters treat your slaves good. So they said, slavery is okay. God is okay with slavery. But they're missing something here. The kind of slavery that was condoned by the New Testament is what we call indentured slavery. Way back yonder, if you got into debt, you couldn't just take bankruptcy and get out of your debt. You were going to go to jail. Sometimes people would make a deal. Let's say I owed $50,000 in debt. No way I could pay it off. I could make a deal, say, with a rich person to work for him for just room and board as a slave. And as a slave, that means I have to be at his beck and call. It's not like employment. Just work eight hours and do what my job uh, assignment is. It's be at his beck and call. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, do whatever it is, you know. (laughs) Whether it's, you know, go out and fetch water or wipe his nose. I have to do whatever he says. I'm a slave. I did that. 
for two years, worked for room and board. At the end of the two years, then he paid off my $50,000 debt. It was voluntary, voluntary slavery, indentured slavery. I became a slave for like two years, voluntarily, on my own, maybe to pay off a debt. That's the kind of slavery that's condoned in the New Testament, not the kind we saw in America where the whites or the slave traders went to Africa and by gunpoint stole these young men from their families. The New King James Version has, instead of men stealers in 1 Timothy 1 verse 10, has kidnappers, and that's actually what was going on. The simple English New Testament has slave traders. Let me ask you a question. Suppose... You know, you're a parent and you got a young son that's 18 years old. Say you live in America and somebody from another country comes over here and at gunpoint steals your son who's 18 years old, takes him to another country. Let's say in that other country, slavery is legal. Would you think, oh, well, that was okay that they stole my son who's 18 years old because where they took him, slavery is legal. No, I don't think you would think that. I think you would call the police and say, somebody kidnapped my son. They stole my son. Do whatever you can to retrieve them. Put them in jail. And they say, what if somebody says, well, but where they took them, slavery is legal. <laughs> that wouldn't matter to you a bit. It would be stealing your son, a men stealer. You wouldn't think of that as, as anything that's okay just because this other country had this terrible practice of legalizing slavery. You would just understand that your son was kidnapped, stolen from you, and that you wanted him back. And you would probably pay all the money you had to get him back, you know to get your son back. So just because slavery was legal, according to the law of the land back two or three or 400 years ago, that didn't make it right for people to go and steal young men from their families over in Africa and come over here and enslave them. No, the Bible never condemned that kind of slavery. The Bible teaches that Christians shouldn't hurt people. They shouldn't be pointing guns at people, Matthew chapter five. They shouldn't be stealing people. They shouldn't be enslaving people. That kind of slavery was never condoned. So I think that that's why we have a lot of prejudice in America today, because the whites got used to having blacks as slaves. And when the Civil War freed the slaves, the whites still thought of themselves as better than the blacks. Shouldn't have, but they did. And they had prejudice against the blacks because they thought they were better than them. And then some blacks were prejudiced against whites because they've been in slavery, their ancestors through the years, and they resented the whites, resented how they were treated. So we have prejudice, whites against blacks, blacks against whites, and the Bible's condemning all of that. It says you're not to show partiality on anything like that. It doesn't matter if somebody's rich or poor, black or white, whether they're from China or Native American Indian. You are not to judge the person based upon that. That's prejudice, and the Bible condemns that in James 2, verse 10, and in many other passages. If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. So it's prejudice to be to show favoritism of whites over blacks or vice versa, or the rich over the poor, or vice versa. But guess what? It's not prejudice, it's not the same thing to preach against homosexuality or women preachers. And I and others, other gospel preachers, have been accused of that. I mean, I had a debate with this uh, black man, black preacher, on women preachers. He was contending, contending that it's okay for women to preach from the pulpit. When I showed the verses in the Bible, it says that a woman ought not to preach from the pulpit. He said, Pat, you're being prejudiced against women 
just like your white ancestors, forefathers, were prejudiced against my black ancestors. And I said, no, it's not the same thing. There's at least two differences. One, you can't control, for example, what race you're born as. That's out of your control. And besides, being white is no better than being black, or being black is no better than being white. But homosexuality is completely different than that. Homosexuality, you control that. And the choice you make is a sinful choice. You're not born a homosexual. You're either born black or white. You can't control it. And neither one is any better than the other. But homosexuality is a sinful choice. We're going to try to make that clear in just a minute. But well, let's take this call. Andrew from Tennessee, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, Andrew, yes, you're on the uh, Yes, sir. I was just wondering about uh, your opinion or your scriptures on being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost versus being baptized in Jesus' name. Okay. Well, actually, those are the same thing if you understand what it means to do something in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost or in the name of Christ. It has nothing whatever to do with what the preacher says when he baptizes somebody. The preacher is being told what to do. He's to baptize in the name of Christ or in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, mean by their authority, and that's the same authority. The authority of the Son, Father, Holy Ghost, Jesus, it's all the same. We can tell that, Andrew, from a passage like Colossians 3.17. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So it's not that we're to just, just to baptize in the name of Jesus. We're to do anything we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. When I kiss my wife, I'm to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus because God told me to love my wife. When I go out and cut the grass in my yard, I'm to do that in the name of Christ because God instructs me to do that. When I go work my job, maybe at the construction site, when I nail a nail in a board, I'm to do that in the name of Christ. But, of course, nobody thinks that we have to say whenever we nail a nail in the board, I nail this nail in the name of Christ. Or when I kiss my wife, I kiss you in the name of Christ. Because that's not what it's talking about. Colossians 3.17 is not talking about saying you're doing something. Colossians 3.17 is talking about doing something by the authority of Christ. So baptizing or doing anything by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is the same as baptizing or doing anything, as Colossians 3.17, in the name of Christ or in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's all the same thing. It's all by the same authority. Andrew, does that yes, answer sir. your question? You got any follow-up? Yes, uh, no, sir. Uh, okay. The, the scripture in Acts where it says, um, maybe you can put a little light on this, where it says, uh, by no other name shall anybody be saved. Um I mean, I believe in the Trinity, and I understand the Trinity, but is he just is that like a play on words there? Is he just talking in like a general sense or what? Well, Acts 4, That's verse 12, he doesn't say you have to say the name. When he says there's no other name by which you can be saved, he's not saying you have to say the name, though I say the name Jesus all the time. It'd be hard to preach about Jesus without saying his name. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about you're only going to be saved through the power and the death of Christ. But it's not talking about what you have to say when you're baptizing somebody. You got a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. So, like I said, I run into people that will say, Pat, if you say homosexuality is wrong, then you're being prejudiced against gays, just like our white forefathers were prejudiced, prejudiced against blacks. And as I mentioned, no, 
you can't control if you're born black or white, and black is just as good as Caucasian, vice versa. It's not a choice anyway. Homosexuality is different than that. It's a sinful choice. Let's show that. Now, even though we're not under the Old Testament law anymore, let's show, first of all, that homosexuality was a sin according to the Old Testament. I'm looking at Leviticus 18, 22 and 23, if you want to follow along. It says, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. What is that saying in the Old Testament? A man should not sleep with another man as he would with a woman, meaning sexually. It's, it's called an abomination. Then it says, the very next thing it says is, neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself. Do you realize what that's saying? Is that a, a man having sex with a man is was looked upon in the Old Testament like a man having sex with an animal. It's, uh, both of them were an abomination. If you're gonna, a man sleeping with a man is just sin, just like a man sleeping with an animal. Can't you see that the Old Testament, in calling this practice of homosexuality an abomination, that it's condemning it severely? Five or six other passages in the Old Testament condemn that also. Let's move to the New Testament. How about Romans 1, 26 and 27? For, by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Romans 1, 26 and 27 says, for this cause, God gave them up into vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir, which was me. So here we have in verse 26, women changing the natural use. They we're talking about what we call lesbianism. Men... Verse 27, men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in their lust one toward another. We're talking about gay men, severely, clearly condemned. So it's not being prejudiced to preach against homosexuality, not being prejudiced at all. It's preaching what the Bible says. Now, it's different if you were to say, ooh, whites are better than blacks, or blacks are better than whites, or rich people are better than poor people, or poor people are better than rich people. That's being prejudiced. You're judging people based upon something that's a don't care for God. But homosexuality is not a don't care for God. To preach that that's a sin and that people need to repent of it so they can be forgiven to go to heaven is not being prejudiced. That's just preaching exactly what God says. And then one other passage on homosexuality. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 12. It says, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor drunkards will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. And so, basically, he's saying homosexuals and sodomites, just like drunkards, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can they be forgiven? Yeah. If you're a drunkard and alcoholic, if you could repent and quit drinking, you're not a drunkard anymore. So this verse won't condemn you anymore. Same thing with a homosexual. If he quits being a homosexual, he repents of it, he gets forgiveness, then this verse doesn't condemn him anymore. You can be forgiven for that just like any other sin. But as long as you continue in it, you cannot be saved. And if we preach against it, all we're doing is saying exactly what God says because we love God and want to serve God. So we preach against homosexuality. It's not being prejudiced. We're just preaching what God wants us to say. Let me make a mention about something. The previous caller called about the baptism in Jesus' name. I had a whole program where I dealt with that about four or five weeks ago. So if you want to go to BibleCrossFire.com where you can listen to all my previous programs, 
look there and go to about four or five weeks ago, and you'll see a whole program where I dealt with what it means to baptize somebody in Jesus' name as opposed to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And as a matter of fact, I say opposed to, they're not opposed to each other. That's doing the exact same thing. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. It's not going to tell you to baptize in Jesus' name in one place and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost in another place, and those be different things. That would be a contradiction. They're talking about doing the same thing, to do something by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and to do something by the authority of Christ, which is what that means, is the exact same thing. So the Bible doesn't contradict one another. Go back to my archives of my programs at BibleCrossFire.com four or five weeks ago, and you'll see a whole program dedicated to that. And then one other thing. People, as I said, the, the preacher accused me of preaching prejudice, like my white forefathers were prejudiced against blacks, when I preached that women ought not to speak, ought not to preach in the church. That's not being prejudiced. It's not the same thing. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, I know a lot of churches, maybe 70% of churches across America and Canada allow women to preach from the pulpit, but I don't understand why when this verse is so clearly against it. I suppose that means 70% of the churches at least are not interested in following God's word anymore. They're not following the authority of Christ anymore. Paul said, through the inspiration of God, the women were to keep silent in the church. It's not permitted unto them to speak. It's a shame for women to speak in the church, yet most churches allow women to do the exact opposite of what this verse says. It's not being prejudiced to preach this either. All we're doing is preaching what God said in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35. And 1 Timothy 2, 11, and 12 says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not or allow not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. That would condemn this practice of women preaching in the church services of churches today also. First Timothy 3, verse 2, when talking about the qualifications of a bishop or an elder, says a bishop must be the husband of one wife. Why does it say the husband of one wife and not maybe the wife of one husband? Because the elder or bishop is in a leadership position. And we just saw from First Timothy 2, 11 and 12, the woman is not to take that leadership position. She's not to teach nor usurp authority over the man. So by definition, then, according to 1 Timothy 2, then a bishop or an elder would have to be the husband of one wife, not the wife of one husband, because the wife is not to take a leadership position over the men in the church. And that's exactly what 1 Timothy 2 is condemning. I have some women through the years that I studied with say, well, the Holy Spirit called me to preach. God told me to preach. I got this question. Why would the Holy Spirit call a woman to preach? When the Holy Spirit says in the Bible, women preachers is a sin. That doesn't make any sense. We know the Bible's right. Don't believe anybody that says this woman was called to preach in the church when the Bible teaches it's wrong. Believe God in the Bible. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. In Acts 10, 34 and 35, we read this. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. God is no respecter of persons. He's going to make judgments based upon who works righteousness. 
as Revelation 20:13 says, they were judged every man according to their works. He's going to judge people according to their works, not their race, not how much money they have, not their social status, not their work status. And that's the only thing we should use to make our judgments. That's the only thing. A white man is going to be accepted of God if he fears God and works righteousness. He's not going to be accepted by God if he doesn't fear God and work righteousness. A black man is going to be accepted by God if he fears him and works righteousness. He's not going to be accepted by God if he does not fear God and work righteousness. It doesn't matter if you're white or black. It matters if you fear God and work righteousness. We appreciate you listening tonight. If you would like to take me up on my offer of a free one-hour phone Bible study sometime during the week, whenever it's convenient for you, I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. Again, a free one-hour phone Bible study at your convenience, whenever it's convenient for you, with me, anytime you can do it. Call or text 256-682-9753.